This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome to another edition of the Talk of Fame Network. And this is a big week, guys. And not because it marks the return of Carson Wentz to the Eagles. No siree. Because it marks the autumnal equinox when the sun crosses the celestial equator. And we have equal parts day and night. That makes sense to you, Ron? It does because I believe in equality in all things. So I like that. <laughs> but what I don't like is what follows the autumnal equinox, which are leaves falling to the ground and snow falling on my shovel. Ugh, squared. <laughs> you don't have a shovel. You have a snowblower. I do, and it's a Cadillac of snowblowers. The Arians, right. 280, they should be an advertiser on this. Well, uh, I, I know that makes sense to uh, anyone in the northern U.S., like you and me, Ron, because beginning to look the same at 6.30 in the morning as it does at 8.30 at night, which is dark. And, and Goose, I know you're up at 6.30 in the morning. Heck, you're up at 5.30 in the morning. What's it look like in Dallas? When the Cowboys win, it's all sunshine here all the time in the great state of Texas. <laughs> yes, you, sir. Homer. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, Goose, uh, speaking of winning, bigger deal there, uh, the autumnal equinox or Texas crushing USC? Probably the Longhorns because equinox happens every year. Of late, Texas hasn't been able to beat a top 25 team every year. Yeah, well, you're right about that. Um, I know the big deal here, right here on the Talk of Fame Network, it's not the autumnal equinox, that we have former linebacker London Fletcher with us today. Yes, London will be calling as we review the preliminary list for the Hall of Fame's class of 2019. Now, London's on the ballot in his first year of eligibility. We also have NFL historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal to review that preliminary list of 102 candidates, as well as Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci. We'll fill us in on the Vontae Davis saga in Buffalo. Goose. Uh, <laughs> One of the greatest things ever yeah. done. You ever heard of anything like that? Goose, Ron, anyone? Yeah, in fact, in fact, I have. Actually, the only thing close that I've ever seen in any sport was Ned Braden from the movie Slapshot, who did a strip tease <laughs> on the ice during the championship game of the Federal League. At least Davis had the good sense to strip his gear off in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. We're not retiring. <laughs> no, not yet, at least. But we are stopping to take a break. When we return, we'll take a deeper look at the Vontae Davis situation with Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, a couple of big stories this week, one of which was Josh Gordon going to the Patriots, which we'll get to later. And the other, well, the other was Buffalo cornerback Vontae Davis retiring. And I use that word liberally at halftime of last weekend's loss to the Chargers. Here to talk about it with us is Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News. And Vic, um, I know he says he retired, but he quit. I mean, so let's call it like it is, right? I mean, he quit. Yeah, he he quit, uh, retired, decided he did not want to play football anymore. Um, I, honestly, I think this became far bigger a story because of its timing, of course, not so much a decision. We've, we've seen younger players than Vontae Davis quit football, and we've scratched our heads. Uh, a guy named Patrick Willis, who I think um, people thought was on his way to a Hall of Fame career, decided he did not want to play as long as a lot of us thought he 
would or should. Um, and yeah, there there was definitely some some outrage from Bill's teammates, certainly the fan base. But um, if you really take a hard look at it, he he di- he did this in the course of a game, and of course that's the the part no one would have predicted. If he had said this on a Monday, if he walked in on a Monday to Sean McDermott's office and said, look, yesterday just it occurred to me that I... I, this isn't right for me anymore. I don't have it in me. Um, I, you know, he, he's gone through some that serious groin tear injury. Uh, had surgery last year with Indianapolis, um, and and from what I could tell, the last extended conversation I had with him, that that definitely was preying on his mind. Uh, I didn't get any thoughts of retirement from him, but he he mentioned significant injury that phrase in, in many uh, multiple times in a conversation we had the Friday before for the season opener against Baltimore. So had he done this on a Monday as opposed to halftime of a game that was uh, that that was a, a, a train wreck for the Bills, just like the first one, um, I think it would have gotten a lot less conversation, frankly. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. To me, it's all about timing because I saw where someone said his move was quote-unquote courageous, but... Gosh almighty, I mean, I would counter that if that's the way he felt, as you said, he should have done it before or after the game, not during it, because as a member of a team, I mean, you're accountable to more than just yourself. You're accountable to your teammates, too. Well, and, and I think that's definitely a way that a lot of people have looked at it. I know his, his some of his uh, more veteran teammates who, who have been through and seen a lot uh, Kyle Williams being one, 35 years old. Lorenzo Alexander, another 35 year old, and and the two veteran leaders of that defense definitely spoke in in uh, pretty harsh terms uh, about Vontae Davis. Um, at least initially, I, I think with a little time to reflect, they were uh, maybe a little more understanding that he did something that was in his mind right for him. But you know, to your point of letting letting quote his teammates down and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that that was a prevalent thought. Now, let's let's also be clear on this, Clark. Um, a lot of people didn't know what had happened, including players, uh, that he actually had left the stadium or had walked out. It wasn't like a big demonstrative thing in front of the entire team. He, the last a lot of guys saw, including fellow members of the secondary, saw he was in uniform when they broke their halftime meetings uh, in their position groups and then went back out on the field. Um, but it, uh, apparently he decided to stay behind, uh, then change out of his uniform into street clothes and leave the stadium. Um, I, he did inform uh, Coach McDermott uh, that, that he was going to do this and maybe I think one or two other people on the Bills staff. But McDermott didn't see the point in making any big sideline announcement or whatever. Uh, you're in the flow of a of a game, halftime to sideline to field, and it's not like you had a ton of time to to gather everybody together and make this announcement. And and the coach also didn't feel inclined to want to do so. And it was sort of like a thing. I think at one point it took till the fourth quarter for for one of the players to realize. Um, I want to say uh, it was Micah Hyde who used the term. It was one of those high school rumor things that, that goes around and did you hear, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? And, and you know, it, it, so, and, and, and really on a day when it was a comedy of errors, and let's also, let's, let's also be clear about this. 
He left the Buffalo Bills, who are 0-2, looking very much like probably the worst team in the league at this point. I know it doesn't, it doesn't, con- you don't condone uh, the idea of, of quitting on anything or anybody. Those are the lessons that uh, I know as a parent you, you try, or I've certainly tried uh, with my kids to emphasize to, to stick with it, even if things aren't going well. But, you know, we can talk in those platitudes. But um, what he walked away from, um, <laughs> it's, I, I think there were a few fans that quit at halftime. So if they're going to be outraged, I saw many of them walking at the walking to the exits before the start of the third quarter. They spent money to be there, and they decided to get in their cars and go home, too. Like I saw his uh, statement on Twitter. Has, has anybody talked to him in the last day or so to get him to expand on this? We're, you know, we've made the effort, Goose, to, to get in touch with him. I want to say we, myself, uh, colleagues of the Buffalo News. So far, no luck. Uh, we've tried, you know, through through his agent. Um, so far, what's standing is that is that statement. Um, I, I'm guessing at some point he, he'll probably have something to say. Um, it wouldn't shock me if, like, the Players' Tribune or, or someplace that uh, provides kind of a, a you know, a, a player-friendly uh, venue for a player to, to put things in his own words uh, is going to be a place where he might decide to, to expand on, on what he said. Um, and also the NFLPA uh, so far has not weighed in on it. We've made efforts to try to get in touch with them as well. Do you think this would have happened if the Bills were 2-0 and as opposed to 0-2? Well, that's and, 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 and Goose, that's a legit question, right? I mean, if they were 2-0 and and the defense wasn't um, playing as horrifically as it is. This, this is supposed, you know, there's a couple of things that, that have to be noted here. Defense was supposed to be the strength of this team and supposed to be stronger than it was last year when it wasn't very strong, by the way, 22nd or so, whatever, ranked in the league. Um, it, it dropped down to 26. I mean, it, was, it, it, it definitely took some steps back under a defensive-minded coach in Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, the coordinator, um, they st- signed Star Latulale, uh, spent big free agent money to bring in the tackle from Carolina. They brought in Trent Murphy, the defensive end, formerly of the Redskins, uh, supposedly to bolster the defensive line. There has been zero sign of that. Uh, and, of course, they signed Davis to, to give them to fill a hole that E.J. Gaines' departure had created in a secondary that by the end of the year was looking like the strength of the team that had uh, one name pro bowler in uh, Micah Hyde and, and another certainly potential pro bowler safety in uh, Jordan Poyer. Uh, the secondary has been awful. And it, and it wasn't just, you know, of course, Javante Davis was a healthy scratch uh, or at least inactive for the first game. Now, he had told me uh, that he thought he was not ready to start that first game, and I, I don't know that he knew he was going to be scratched uh, of being active for the Ravens game because Philip Gaines not only started, but you know, but was there taking a spot that uh, that the Bills saw fit to remove from the roster, a, 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 an active spot from the roster at corner, uh, and then not only activated, um, you know, activated Davis for the Charger game, but also made him the starter, uh, and, and then put Gaines, uh, uh, it, who was hurt, you know, who had who, who, to the inside. Now Gaines suffered an injury. They had other injuries. They had four four 
active corners for this Charger game. And when it was over, uh, they were really scraping the bottom to, to try to you know get bodies out there. But they've played terribly. And, and then at halftime of that game, uh, the only, it wasn't the only surprise, the, the retirement of Davis. Sean McDermott took play calling away from Leslie Frazier and, and was calling the the defensive plays through the final two quarters. And um, that's not a very typical thing that happens either. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Vic, we got to roll, but thanks so much for the time. And thanks for not retiring in the middle of this interview. Appreciate it. Hey, it, it, was, it was tempting, but I, but I, I stuck it. <laughs> I'll bet it was. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Vic. Thanks, Vic. See you guys. Vic Carucci. Up next, we'll look at what all the famers are now demanding from the league and what could happen if they don't get what they want. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, did uh, either of you guys watch the Monday night game? Wouldn't miss it. Yeah, I watched it till I fell asleep, which didn't take long. <laughs> That's right. Well, then if you watched ESPN's halftime show, maybe you were asleep by then, Ron. I certainly um, was. <laughs> you saw what amounted to uh, really an MTV video, and no, I said no, Brian Urlacher, who was on the field in Chicago at the time receiving his Hall of Excellence ring from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, Goose, you're Dr. Data. Can you explain to me why that made any sense? There is no acceptable explanation. There's a reason the Hall of Fame chose to give Earl Ocker his ring on Monday night, because there was a national television audience. Right. Then not even a snippet of coverage. Just another fumble on the part of the ESPN. <laughs> People who watch NFL games on Monday night want to see football, not musical acts. And Brian Urlacher was as football as football can be. Here, here. All right. Ron, can wow. you top that? Well, yeah, sure. Makes perfect sense. If you're ESPN, they paid to <laughs> produce right. the video that was probably done by a right. kid not old enough to remember when Brian Urlacher played his last game. It's all about the moment, boys. And they were in the moment <laughs> doing that Fortnite thing. Well, for those who didn't see it, and that includes all three of us, uh, Brian Urlacher later said he had never been to halftime of any game, which uh, I'll be honest with you, I found hard to believe, but apparently it's true. Uh, he said, and I quote, so I don't know what it's like. I picture filing out, going to get drinks, going to the restroom. That's what I do when I go to stuff. Now, Ron, I think that's a pretty accurate description of halftime, don't you? Yeah, about it covers a lot of stuff. I get involved with it halftime, but not all of it, but a lot, a lot of it. And I would imagine he probably has never been to halftime. You think about it. Football, he was always at the game. There's no halftime in baseball. As my daughter once said to me, they have two halftimes in hockey, which means they have none. <laughs> you know? So unless he's going to basketball games, he wouldn't have seen one. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with uh, the Gooseman. I, I thought it was sort of incomprehensible that we didn't see him. But we did see him, glimpses of him behind Steve Young and uh, Louis Riddick and the halftime show. Oh, there's Brian. Ah, there he goes. Uh, anyway, speaking of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, pretty interesting development this week, guys. Um, there was a report that a group of, I think it's 22 Hall of Famers, uh, one that includes several friends of this show like Jerry Rice, Mike Haynes, Eric Dickerson, Kurt Warner, Mel Blunt, you name them. They've been on the show. Uh, they sent a letter to Commissioner Roger Goodell seeking health insurance as well as an annual salary for Hall of Famers that includes a share of league revenue. But 
They didn't stop there. Um, they also blasted Raj for being overpaid. That's okay. Uh, said the league is notorious, quote, for the hard line it takes against players. And depends on where you stand on that thing. And, and then said they would not attend next year's Hall of Fame ceremony if their demands aren't met. Goose, how do you think that went over in Park Avenue? Not well. You know, this isn't Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. This is a bunch of Hall of Famers wanting a royalty checks. I agree with the need for improved health care and pensions. But an annual salary because you wear a gold jacket, that's going to be a tough sell on Park Avenue as much as it is Dubuque, Iowa. Okay, Ron, how do you think it went over in Canton? Uh, well, Considering the relatively penurious nature of things there in Canton, I'd say uh, you like that word, didn't you? Uh, well, wait, wait a second. I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at penurious. Let's see. <laughs> now, look, the baseball players, the basketball players, the hockey players, the golfers, the rodeo cowboys, or bowlers demand to be paid by their halls of fame to show up at induction ceremonies. No, just these guys. Kurt Warner, of all people, should be ashamed of yeah. himself, which he quit quickly was and said, "Not me. I didn't mean to say yeah. that. I mean, I it wasn't me." It. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I mean, he and a couple of others are employed by the NFL. But give me a break. Exactly. Now, exactly. look, uh, and I'm going to talk about this in more depth later, but all pre-1993 players should have vastly improved benefits, but it shouldn't be based on whether or not you're in the Hall of Fame. And this guy isn't in the Hall of Fame. It's That's really a continuation of the selfless nature of players that cost them wins in 1982 and again in 1987 uh, uh, in their 57-day strike. In the latter case, they already won in federal court, and they still managed to lose. Instead, we had guys like LT, whose name is on the letter, and also crossed their picket line and cut the legs out from under Upshaw on the Union. Yeah, They will yeah. never get this right. Okay, well, let's just make this a trifecta. How'd it go over with you, Rick? I mean, both you guys. Well... The annual salary is very troublesome. If they want to boycott Canton because they want to be paid to be Hall of Famers, let them boycott Canton. Mm-hmm. Ron? I'll go for free. Just like <laughs> Goose goes for free every year. Yeah, Goose yeah, is a exactly. Hall of Famer. I'll pay my way over. Every year. <laughs> hey, did Goose, did you sign that letter? I didn't see your name on that. I yeah, see I didn't it. see the Goose man's name on that letter. <laughs> well, a couple criticisms, and I think valid criticisms I've heard. One, that Warner, who said now that, you know, I, I want to back away from now, Who, me? Deion Sanders. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't me. Deion Sanders, both of whom, as you mentioned, Ron, they're employed by the NFL Network. They said that the uh, league pays them salaries. Uh, the league that pays them salaries doesn't really take care of its employees. Now, it's yeah. kind of hard to. To, to live with. And, and, and second, um, and more important to me, this is not a demand to help retired players. It's a demand, demand to help Hall of Famers, period, right. who by definition get more than retired players in endorsements, appearances, autograph shows, you name it. They get it. Golf tournaments. Right. Golf tournaments. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everything. No, you're exactly right. I mean, it's just, it, it, it shows you why they have the worst pension. They have the worst contracts. They have the worst benefits. They have the worst everything because they are selfish, self-absorbed little men. And <laughs> that's really the difference. Say what you mean, Ron. <laughs> yeah. Don't I mean, sugarcoat it. Look, I've been a union guy. You guys all know that. I was back on the players before there were players. Uh, but this is typical of why I grew to distrust them, as did Gene Upshaw, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to lose respect for them. They, it, they, they have it, no it, courage. Isn't Dee Smith's name on this letter, too? I don't think so. I don't think so. And actually, to his credit, I, and you guys know I've had a lot of problems with D. Smith, uh, which is, you know, doesn't put me in an exclusive company. Having said that, he did get something for those pre-93 players in the last yeah, uh, right, uh, negotiation. Right. So, uh, you know, okay. at least he tried. And he got yeah. something. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned they said they won't attend next year's Hall of Fame ceremony if this demand isn't met. 
And I'm not sure that's a threat. I mean, I really am not because we've been down this road before, guys. I mean, six weeks ago we went down this road with an inductee, a 2018 inductee, and the show went on. Yeah, Canton has made a concentrated effort to bring Hall of Famers back each August induction ceremony and takes great pride in annually announcing there are more than 100 gold jackets that will be in attendance. But the record crowd last summer didn't show up to see those gold jackets. They showed up to see Ray Lewis and Brian Dawkins and Jerry Kramer get inducted. inducted. So, so let them boycott. The show will go on. If 100 Hall of Famers don't show up next August, that will be that'll free up better hotel rooms for the three of us. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Right. Gooseman right, cuts right to the chase. Uh, but look, so you don't so don't show up. Who cares? Most of them don't interact with anybody anyway unless they're getting paid to do it that week. Right. Right. So you know, it's not like they're out there doing meeting and greets. So, you know, you want to go to a card show and pay $25 to get uh, an autograph from a guy whose handwriting you can barely read? Fine. Uh, you know, but it's, it's not like they're out there meeting and greeting people uh, all that often. So if they don't want to come, so, so- don't come. So why issue that threat anyway, Ron? Why issue that threat anyway? Well, because I think the whole A, it, it just shows you how out of whack their thought process is, that they really think they have some leverage, which they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and B, uh, as Goose just pointed out, you know, they just went through this with an inductee and said, see ya. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? uh, and, well. and, and, and lastly, what do they do? They go up, they have, they have the dinner. That's a nice thing. But if they're not there... They're not there. Other than that, the only thing that else they do is fall asleep on the stage. Right, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the signal that it's time to hear about someone who belongs in Canton and did not sign a letter demanding more money from Commissioner Roger Goodell and the NFL. And that's someone our Rick Gosselin wrote about this week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com. And, Gooseman, you want to tell us about Jim Ray Smith? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I never heard of him before you wrote this. I thought you were talking about Billy Ray Smith. <laughs> well, Clark, three Hall of Fame caliber seasons by Terrell Davis produced a bust in Canton from 1996 to 98. Davis was the best in the NFL at what he did, run the football. He rushed for 1,500 yards in 1996, 1,700 in 1997, and 2,000 in 1998, winning one rushing title and helping the Broncos win two Super Bowls. He went to three Pro Bowls and was a first-team All-Pro three seasons. But a series of leg and neck injury or knee injuries forced him into retirement after just seven seasons. But those three seasons were special, and special earned Davis a gold jacket. Jim Ray Smith would like to be afforded that same courtesy from Canton. For three years, Smith was Smith was the very best at what he did, run block. From 1959 through 1961, he was the best guard in football for the Cleveland Browns. He was the only guard voted guard voted to first team all pro all three of those seasons he also went to five consecutive pro bowls from 1958 through 1962 hall of famer jim brown won five consecutive rushing titles behind the blocking of smith from 57 to 61 now mike mccormick played right tackle on that same cleveland line he played in six pro bowls during his 10-year career but was never voted first team all pro he was enshrined in canton in 1984 after a 17-year wait Smith's own weight is now at 49 years and counting. He's never been a finalist. He's never even been a semifinalist. Smith wound up playing nine seasons and was a Pro Bowl blocker in more than half of them. He was a first-team All-Pro in a third of them. But there's a major difference between the candidacies of McCormick and Smith. McCormick played on two NFL champions, Smith none. 
The Hall of Fame Selection Committee is partial to players who win championships. Of the 275 players in Shrine, 63% of them arrived in Canton wearing championship rings. But Canton's new standard is three Hall of Fame seasons, and that door has been open to the short career players. Running back Priest Holmes, wide receiver Sterling Sharp, defensive end Rich Jackson, and Smith all deserve to have their careers discussed and debated by the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. It's been a half a century since he last played, but Jim Ray Smith, one of the best guards of his era, deserves a turn as a finalist. So, Gooseman, why does one guy, Billy Ray Smith, slip through while other guys like Gene Hickerson and Mike McCormick get in? Is it that random, good luck, bad luck, or is there something else involved? Well, I can't speak for Billy Ray Smith, but I can speak for Jim Smith. Sorry. See, Clark gets me in trouble again. Ah, That's why I hate that guy. No stats, no rings, no chance. Okay, that's going to do it. Me, We're going to stick with our Hall of Fame theme when we return because next up is former linebacker London Fletcher. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we told you Leonard Fletcher would join us, and you know what? Now he's here. No surprise there. Uh, he was one of the most dependable players anywhere. London played 16 NFL seasons, collected more than 2,000 tackles, went to four Pro Bowls and won a Super Bowl, which is why he's among the nominees for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2019 in his first year of eligibility. He was an undrafted free agent who won a Super Bowl with the Rams, led the NFL in tackles with the Redskins, and sandwiched a five-year stint at middle linebacker with the Buffalo Bills in between. London Fletcher, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm honored to be on your show. Well, thank you. And, London, before we get started, quick question for you. You live in the Charlotte area, correct? I do, yes. Yes, I live in the Charlotte area. How did you weather Hurricane Florence, and how bad was it? Well, for me, um, I I fly up to New York every weekend to do some work for a CBS Sports Network uh, on a NFL pregame show called uh, That Other Pregame Show. So I normally fly out on a Saturday, but they had me fly out on a Friday just to make sure I would be able to get to New York. Um, as far as um, Charlotte is concerned, my family stayed back here, and, and um, you know, we got some rain, um, wind, wind with some issues, but... You know, our our particular neighborhood didn't uh, suffer too much damage, but there were some parts of uh, Charlotte that that some roads were flooded, um, some areas were flooded. So um, that was um, that was kind of the um, the gist of everything here in Charlotte as relates to the hurricane. A lot, a lot of rain. Um, by the time I came back on on Sunday, um, the rain had pretty much um, subdued and uh, subsided, rather. And you know, it was uh, from there. It was just really about. Um, getting the water to kind of go back down to um to its normal uh normal levels and you know i think the uh the uh, emergency crew did a great job with that okay london your reaction to seeing your name on the list of the hall of fame nominees for the class of 2019 i, I was extremely uh humbled and and, and uh, surprised <laughs> i mean you know just uh flattered um honored um you know it's just uh the crazy thing is it when it came out, I didn't uh, I didn't see it initially, and I, I was getting um, congratulation texts uh, and calls from different people, and uh, I was like, "Whoa, you know," because I knew it was coming, but I just didn't know what date that the uh, the list would be um, put out there, the initial um, you know list. Um, so I got a ton of calls and things like that, and you know, from uh, uh, people and, and text messages, 
emails and things of that nature. But I was, um, it, it really kind of forced me to um, kind of start to think about, okay, this is the first step of, you know, hopefully what will be um, me being enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, you know, um, from there, it's just, man, like I said, I was just um, honored by it and, and, and definitely appreciative um, to be on this, uh, on this list. Uh, two questions. The first one's really uh, a short one. If you do get in, will you show up? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be there, man. And, I, and I'll tell you what, even I don't know if the stadium will be able to hold all, all my family. You know, I'm, I'm from uh, from the Cleveland area. So between, uh, you know, my family, friends, I went to college at John Carroll University. Oh, right. Uh, that, that, that whole, at least half the stadium will be there. Um, supporting me so if you all want a great turnout <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go another reason to vote for you perfect uh, oh yeah you know we would uh we would definitely be there i would i would definitely be there and uh, man it would be an, an awesome time <laughs> i'll tell you that you know at, at 5 10 london i'm sure you've been told most of your life that you were too short to play linebacker maybe some guys said you were too short to play football i don't know but you played uh i think it was division three college football uh without a scholarship and then you went undrafted by the nfl uh so forget the Hall of Fame for a second. How much of a struggle was it for you the, uh, those previous eight years just to prove that a player of your side deserved even a shot at the NFL? Well, it was it was difficult, um, you know, coming in, having the, the Division three label and also um, being a, an undersized middle linebacker. Those were two strikes that I had against me, you know, trying to, you know, pr- prove that I belonged to the NFL. And, and it was kind of always – a question mark of whether I would be able to um, play at, a, at at that level. I can remember um, when I was named the starter back in the uh, during the 1999 season. So um, ESPN the magazine used to put out a like a preseason rankings of all the teams and players, and they their scale was like one to five, five being the highest, and they gave me like a. I want to say like a two rating. It's like, uh, yeah, if London Fletcher's still starting by Halloween, we'll buy you a car. So I, um, <laughs> so I, 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 I like to read. I've always read sports, uh, the newspapers, um, ESPN, the magazine, Sports Illustrated. I've always been, from the time I can, was in elementary, I, I've always read those types of things. So I, I put that on my coffee table as a kind of like a um, motivation, and uh, periodically I look at it, and so. Fast forward to the postseason that year. Um, of course, I, I started all those games, so um, that regular season. So then they did a, a postseason preview, and they said, uh, "If London Fletcher doesn't lead the team in tackles, we'll buy you a car." So and they changed my rating to a four at that time. So it was kind of like uh, you know, prove I proved I belong. But you know, those those first um, eight years, it was it was. Um, it was like I was always feeling like I was being overlooked. Like, you know, regardless of what I did on that football field, I wasn't getting my um, true um, justification or accolades coming my way. I mean, I've, I was like, man, it was some point, sometimes where I was just like, I, I don't know what else I could do. I mean, I, I literally was just perplexed. Like, I don't know what else I can do to um, garner the all-pros and the, and the Pro Bowls because – I mean, when you looked at the numbers, the production, the, the team success, the defense success, it's just like, I I don't know what else to do. I really don't know. Hey, Len, did they buy your car? <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't. And the crazy thing is when we went to the Super Bowl that year, I, uh, I got a chance to, um, during the media day, I was like, yeah, you know, I brought up that article. I was like, yeah, I want to... I want my I want a Rams blue Mercedes, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of, kind of missing that article. 
you know, just uh, so it was it was motivation, and I and I played with a chip on my shoulder for a um, a number of years, just like always, just having to um, feel like you know that Division three label was always over my my head, and that undrafted label was all over my head, always um, kind of hanging over my head, like, you know, it was always a part of undrafted free agent, you know, just Division three school, like, you know, it's it's, a, it's something to be proud of, but it was also kind of looked at sometimes, like, people use it as a negative, too. Right, right. Well, let's explain a little bit far, further about why you played with a chip on your shoulder. You're one of two rookies to make the 98 Rams. You made your first start in that final game of that season. And then, of course, you started and won a Super Bowl, the final game of the 99 season. That's a pretty rapid ascent for an undrafted college free agent. So, simple question here. How'd you win the confidence of Dick Vermeil and his coaching staff and do it so quickly? Um, you know, the thing about it is once I, um, once I got an opportunity – I felt like I was going to run with it. Um, you know, I, I knew I could play football. It was just about about getting an opportunity where um, in the right situation. And Coach Vermeil was the right coach. Um, he he had he had always given kind of the underdogs a true shot, and he didn't he didn't care where where you were drafted, things like that, where you played college football at, or whether he was undrafted or, or anything. And it's even dated back to his day, his time as a um, as the head coach back at. Um, in Philadelphia, so it was the right situation. And, and from once I got on the football field, you know, I didn't care where the guys were, you know, where I was on the depth chart. I just went went about my business every day, and I tried to play as hard as I can. I really, um, my goal was just to make the um, the practice squad, <laughs> and uh, you know, initially, and then um, as we started playing in the preseason games and 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 things like that. And um, I can remember we scrimmaged the uh, Colts and Jackie Slayer, he came to me one day, well, during the scrimmage, he's like, man, it's just glaring how how fast you are on that football field. And he's like, it's just, it's like, um, you know, it just pops out how much faster you are than anybody else on this field. And, and when uh, Jackie Slater had said it, it was like, man, wow, maybe I can do this. So, um, you know, just really just each day, Kind of um, just going about my business, put my head down, and you know, made the team as a um, as a as an undrafted rookie, and, and ended up being the rookie of the year for the Rams. And you know, uh, coach gave me an opportunity as a um, going into my second year to compete for the starting job, and I won it. And kind of the rest was history, I, I, I guess you can say. London, you put together nine consecutive seasons of 100 tackles or more before you were finally voted to your first Pro Bowl at the age of 33. You were a Pro Bowl alternate eight times. In those February trips to Hawaii, we're going to first-round draft picks like Ray Lewis, Jonathan Vilma, Brian Urlacher, and Dan Morgan. So how much of an obstacle was it for an undrafted college free agent to achieve a place among the elite? Uh, it, was, it was a big obstacle. Um, if you um, the, the way the Pro Bowl voting goes, it's not a, it's not a, a science, it's not a... Um, you know, it's the way teams go about voting is, you know, some teams are, are voting on friend, voting for friends. Um, you know, just, just there's not a lot of, um, it's political in a way. I didn't have any allies in the NFL because nobody else from John Carroll was, was in the NFL. So I didn't have the, the first round status. A lot of the coaches, um, you know, they vote for, for the name guys. And I just didn't have that name like those guys, um, you know, because they were the high draft picks. Um, but as far as production, I mean, none of those guys were producing at a higher level than me. So it was it was definitely a um, a challenge. I mean, you know, I look around and you know, one of the the, the craziest things was um, my first year in Washington. We had a um, had a really good season. We played Seattle in the playoffs, 
and Lofa Tatupa, who was devoted to the Pro Bowl over me, after the game, he literally came up to me and said, London, you deserve to make the Pro Bowl over me. It was like, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking like, yes, I know. Um, <laughs> I said, you know, I, I said, thank you. I, you know, kind of, kind of not um, appreciated that, but it was, you know, he, even he knew he didn't deserve to go ahead of me, but that's kind of how it was. <laughs> Uh, you started in a Super Bowl victory uh, uh, over the Titans in 2000 and then started in a Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, which has remained controversial for a long time in 2002. Uh, what are your sort of enduring memories of those two games? Well, the enduring memory, <laughs> one was uh, definitely um, better than the other. The um, the 2000 team, obviously we won it, and, you know, that, that's, um, that, that team and the um, – 99 Rams, 2000 Super Bowl. Just the, um, you know, it was really the game was just a culmination of all the things that we had um, achieved throughout that course of that uh, season. Season about the journey. Um, you know, obviously um, winning the the way we won that game. Um, Mike Jones's tackle on the one yard line. So that's kind of the enduring memory. I guess, um, you know, the confetti uh, coming from the uh, ceiling and, um, you know, seeing all my teammates run on the field. I was on the field at that time and just seeing all the guys run from our sidelines. That's, that's the uh, kind of the enduring memory from that one. And then as far as the uh, 2002 um, game, just um, obviously the painful loss, the enduring memory is, uh, I guess, that started the. Uh, the Tom Brady New England Patriots dynasty and, you know, the Adam Vinatieri uh, field goal that beat us um, in that game. Um, Kennedy, so I guess those are both the uh, enduring memories for both from both of those games. Hey, London, quick quick question here. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds left. Who is the bigger name at John Carroll these days? Leonard Fletcher or Don Shula? <laughs> uh, well, Don Shula has several buildings in the stadium named after him, so... <laughs> <laughs> His name is definitely bigger. He's, he's giving the he's giving the university a ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, London, you got a big name with us. Already. You got a big name with us. Thanks so much for the time and best of luck with your Hall of Fame candidacy. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. Thanks, London. Thanks, London. That was former linebacker London Fletcher, one of 102 candidates for election to Canton in 2019. Up next, it's a two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're near the end of our first hour, so that can mean only one thing. That's the two-minute warning. Yep, it's the two-minute drill with Ron Borges, this week's play call. So, Ronnie, take it away. Pre-1992, retirees were paid $250 per playing year in their pension. Today's players get three times that. Who's responsible for the game's founding fathers, the owners or the players' union? The players. It's all about the players. Inflation. It's all about inflation. <laughs> uh, who wins the AFC West shootout? Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, Case Keenum, or Philip Rivers? As a guy who covered the Chiefs for 13 seasons, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, Homer. Only shootout's going to be between Rivers and Mahomes. And you know what? Rivers has a defense. Mahomes doesn't. He's also a friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> That's correct. If, That's if, both of them are. If Ryan Fitzpatrick throws for another 400 yards and four touchdowns in Tampa uh, and wins this weekend, is there a quarterback controversy when the Bucks, when Jameis Winston comes off suspension? If you got a choice between Amish, the Amish rifle and anyone, <laughs> you stick with the rifle. <laughs> controversy only if the Bucks hit him, Ron. But then it won't be a controversy. It'll be a riot. <laughs> 
Dolphins defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick trademarked Fitzmagic only days after Ryan Fitzpatrick first threw for 400 yards. Which one of these guys went to Harvard? Minka, Alabama, the home <laughs> of college football. <laughs> The Harvard of the South. <laughs> That's right. They're crimson, right? Fitzpatrick, so smart, he chose to play quarterback. <laughs> you pick them, the riflemen, the Rustin rifle, or the Amish rifle. Oh, I love Chuck Connors and riflemen. Go with Chuck Connors. Oh, Rustin rifle. This is easy. Doesn't get any better than Burt Jones. Come on. How much free beer did Zane Gonzalez's wild foot cost Brown fans last Sunday? <laughs> the refrigerators stay locked. The Brown fans stay thirsty. That's right. I don't know, Ron, because the fridges are still locked. <laughs> Judge Coach uh, Todd Bowles said he didn't expect rookie quarterback Sam Darnold to go from Jekyll to Hyde. Did he? And which one is the real Sam Goody? I think the real Sam Goody was the one that played last week, not the one that played against Matt Patricia's defense in the opener. <laughs> yeah. You know real Sam Goody? He died in 1991. <laughs> Can you be the GOAT and be strip-sacked and cost your team two of its last three games? Not Johnny Unitas. Never happened, never will. No, but the GOAT didn't cost his team two of the last three. His defense did. That's the end of it. That's the end of our first hour, but stay where you are. We'll be back with the 2019 Hall of Fame preliminary list. John Turney and our 2019 NFL Emmys. That's all coming up right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to hour number two of the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark, along with Rick and Ron. And in this hour, we'll visit with NFL historian John Turney to review the Hall of Fame's preliminary list for the class of 2019, as well as hand out some of our own Emmys for award-winning performances. But first, I want to address something that's of particular interest to our Rick Goslin, and that's special teams. Gooseman, last weekend we had something like 11 missed kicks, including potential game-winning field goals in the Minnesota Green Bay game and the Cleveland-New Orleans contest. Now, already one kick has been cut, and another has his feet held to the fire. What in the name of Morton Anderson is going on with these guys, Goose? I thought they were supposed to be automatic. Forget the field goals. They're missing the chip shot extra points. You know, yeah. The NFL moved the extra point back to the 15-yard line so it would no longer be automatic. Mission accomplished. In 2014, when the conversion try was still the two-yard line, NFL kickers converted 99.4% of the kicks. There were only eight misses. Last season, percentage dropped to 94%. There were 68 misses. Quite simply, kickers are no longer automatic. It's seemingly from any distance. Well, one guy who is or, or was automatic who said, thought Dan Bailey, he just signed with Minnesota. And, and I think that's a great gift for the Vikings, don't you, Ron? Well, I'm not so sure. It was better than what they had, perhaps, but uh, there's one concern. Although he's the second most accurate kicker in history at 88.2%, he dropped off considerably the last two years. He was injured a bit in 2017. He missed a kick at every distance, 20 yards, 30, 40, 50, and a PAT. So his last year's 75% conversion rate, who he now is, or an aberration from the nearly... 90% kicker he once was. Time in his toes will tell. All that said, what kicker wouldn't love to kick indoors? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Gooseman, you're in Dallas. Why did the Cowboys let this guy walk? Older player, big money, injuries last year, as Ron mentioned, declining production. Missed three kicks. Uh-huh. Three of his last six kicks a year ago, all from inside the 40. 
But hey, I was there in KC when the Chiefs cut Jan Stenerud for Nick Lowry, so it didn't shake me <laughs> like it shook most of Dallas. <laughs> well, Ron, he said he was waiting for the right situation. Like Goose said, you're playing indoors. You had the number one defense a year ago. It's a playoff team. I'd say that's the right situation, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, for sure. You look, uh, from a kicker's perspective, playing indoors, not only in Minnesota, but also in Detroit's a plus. But I will say this, them winds do blow in Green Bay and Chicago when the money's on the line. <laughs> <Dem> wins. <laughs> yeah, that's when them winds do blow. I'll tell you what else is the right situation. Going to break, and we're going to do it now. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, Ronnie, good news. Yes, sir. Try as it might, the NFL just cannot get rid of your guy, the Amish Rifle, a.k.a. Ryan Fitzpatrick, a.k.a. your adopted son. Now... I know you love this guy, and I get it. I mean, he went to Harvard, and he's beating the odds. He also beat the SATs. But uh, now, well, now Miami Dolphins cornerback Minka, Minka Fitzpatrick, no relation, not to be confused with Ryan Fitzmagic. He's outsmarted John Harvard by finally to trademark the phrase Fitzmagic so he can sell a lot of items, I guess, including clothing. Now, I may be wrong, Ron, just guessing here, but I don't imagine there's a lot of love in the Borges household for Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, so what do you make of all this? What, what do you think? Well, I mean, you got to love the entrepreneurial spirit of a guy who went to the Alabama business school, apparently, who knew they had a business school in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, right. Barely a school. But anyway, uh, uh, his mom claims that this was always his nickname dating back to high school, uh, 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 that he was actually called... Fitz magic, Minka was. Uh, so I would say this. As long as he's smart enough not to put his picture on those shirts, he could probably make himself a lot of money. But if he does, I think the Amish rifle will be taking aim at him because uh, Minka Dinka, do not put your picture. <laughs> make a lot of money, wear some Minka coats. Uh, Goose, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Goose man, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't get this. I mean, it'd be like me trying to sell something based on Aaron Judge, you know, something to judge. If you know it's not the original... And we do now. We know it's not the original. I mean, why would you buy it? Well, it's not like Deion Sanders claimed the trademark. Uh, Fitzpatrick's name is, well, Fitzpatrick. What if Minka becomes Deion Sanders in his career? Then we'll credit him with having incredible foresight. And he was a former All-America, first-round pick, and now a rookie on an unbeaten team. His future is right. I'm guessing he'll be in the NFL a lot longer than the Amish rifle. Oh, the Amish rifle's older. That's why. Do you think he'll be in the league as long as the Amish rifle was? I'm Amish rifle's long. been around. Well, anyway, good luck with that, Minka. Uh, okay, you probably saw that the Emmys were this week, though you might not have actually seen the award show itself. What are the uh, Emmys? Or the ratings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the ratings were an all-time low, like 10.2 million viewers. I mean, not many people were watching, but that doesn't really matter because we're going to have our own Emmys. Yes, sir. Right here, right now. I hope we get 10.2 million viewers, listeners, whatever. Anyway, we're going to have our own Emmys based on what Rick and Ron have seen, heard, or maybe trademarked the first two weeks of the season. Now, basically, our program goes like this. Pretty simple. I'll nominate a category, and Rick and Ron, you will give me your winner. And then you'll tell me why. Sounds pretty simple. It's because it is. But before I begin, I will say, are there any questions? Rick, Ron, questions? No. I think I got it. No? Okay. All right. Let's begin. Best comedy. Des Bryant for trying to tweet his way into employment this summer with the New York Giants, Washington Redskins, San Francisco 49ers, Cleveland Browns, and New England Patriots. 
Wide receiver Needy Pages have signed three wideouts in the last week, and not a one was named Des Bryant. No one is called, and with each passing week, the stock drops for the 29-year-old comedian. Eric Dixon for trying to sound like Cesar Chavez, standing up for downtrodden great workers of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean, who is he kidding? I mean, this thing is going to blow up so far in his face. You know when the Stooges, when they have the cigar, boom, it's going to be like that. <laughs> okay. Best drama. Oh, easy. Mike Tomlin and as the Steelers turn. Good Lord, every year with you, Steve, it's something. This year, it's everything. Ben wants to retire. Le'Veon wants to stay home. Antonio wants to be traded. <laughs> Terry Bradshaw says he hates the coach as much as he once hated Judge Noel. <laughs> and they can't even beat the Browns. <laughs> I think I want to watch that. <laughs> the best drama is unfolding in Tampa. You've declared Jameis Winston as your franchise quarterback of the present and future, but the guy filling in for him during his suspense is playing better than any quarterback in the NFL. Do you go back to Winston? Or do you stick with the rifle? Well, let's move to the next one. Best quarterback in a starring role. Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. Andy Reid set him his entire rookie year so he could get a feel for the speed, physicality, and intensity of an NFL football. Now that he's on the field, he's very comfortable with himself in this offense, and he's shredding NFL defense with 10 TD passes in his first two games. No, 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 no. You had it a few minutes ago. The Amish rifle. Are you kidding me? Over 800 passing yards in two games. Two games. Got him. Jameis Winston had one in three years. Count him. Two games, three years. <laughs> Ryan Patrick, he's the new rifleman. Ka-ching. They got Amish in Florida. I know they got Danish in Florida. They got Amish there, too. Best supporting actor. Oh, uh, Keelan Cole, and he only needed one hand to do it. He had seven catches for 110 yards, and the Jags went over to New England, including a one-handed grab that would make Odell Beckham Jr. jealous. He supported Blake Bortles every way possible. James Conner. He scored three touchdowns filling in for the absent Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh, but the Steelers remain winless. They need to get Bell back in the building, back in uniform, and back on the field. Best defensive player in a starring role. Khalil Mack, who needs training camp. Who needs preseason? And who the heck needs the Oakland Raiders? <laughs> wishing they had put up two first-round draft picks to John when John Gruden went shopping. Goose and I, unlike Congress, have found common ground. Khalil Mack was in the Seattle's backfield more than Russell Wilson. In two weeks, he's made three teams look bad. The Packers, the Seahawks, and the Raiders. <laughs> Best performance by head coach. Adam Gase says the lowly Dolphins leading the AFC East. He may not have transformed Ryan Tannehill into Tom Brady, but he has his team 2-0 with a one-game lead over the Brady Bunch, plus a road win in the division to boot. Who'd have thunk it? I agree with Ron. The offseason what? saw Gase lose an impact player in offense in Jarvis Landry, an impact player in defense in the Dominican Sioux, yet the Dolphins are one of only seven teams still unbeaten after two weeks. He learned well his coaching lessons while as a graduate assistant for Michigan State under Nick Saban. Well, that sound reminds me that I forgot a category. That's right. And that's best rant that's about to happen. That would come from our Ron Borges with this week, Borges or Bogus. And Ron, take it away. Floor is yours. Eric Dickerson and a coalition of 20 or so Hall of Famers issued a letter this week demanding two things. A guaranteed salary, reportedly uh, by my sources, $250,000, and health insurance, or they would refuse to show up at future Hall of Fame inductions. As a PR move, one wonders if they hired Terrell Owens as a consultant. First off, they claim Roger Goodell is overpaid. True. They say the league doesn't care about retired players. True. 
then that handful of Hall of Famers goes on to prove that they don't care about the, the retired players either. In fact, they made their own case. Bogus. First off, many of them are former union members who didn't have the backbone in 1987 to stay out on strike after they'd already won a federal court case to put the league uh, and the way it did business in jeopardy of the antitrust laws. After 57 days, they caved. But long before that, star players had already begun to cross the picket line. And who was one of those? Lawrence Taylor. Guess what? He signed the demand letter, too bogus. So just like the players union and the owners of the past, 20 or fewer Hall of Famers are doing just what they criticize others for having done. They're saying, pay us, forget them. Forget about the thousands of guys who played with and against us. Forget about the guys who helped put us in the Hall of Fame. Ensure us, not them. You want more? You should have been better players. That's what they're saying, and it's bogus. It took less than one day for one of the signees, Kurt Warner, to backtrack and say he never agreed to have his name on it and never agreed to threaten the hall with a boycott. Next thing you know, Jerry Rice was out saying saying that uh, he never would boycott and that he didn't sign the letter. It sounds to me like Eric Dixon jumped the tracks. Once you remember, he was once part of the quarterback club that in 1987 divided the players and the player union when the union was trying to use jersey sales to finance their uh, antitrust litigation. As a negotiating employee, these guys come off as selfish, greedy, and most importantly, a reminder of why pro football players have lousy benefits, lousy pension, and few guaranteed contracts. It's because they've always done what these 20 or fewer guys are doing. They don't stick together. They walk separately, usually the end of a plank. It's bogus. Ron, you're now retired. Have you asked your former employer to pay you a quarter of a million dollars annually? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like him to pay me the 50 grand they owe me. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ron, what do you think the fallout from this is going to be? I think think they're going to come off looking terrible. They're going to come off looking greedy. of them are going to start attacking each other, saying, I didn't sign it, I didn't agree to that, I was just on the phone call, because they didn't even meet, it was a it was a, a, a series of phone calls, uh, and, and the whole thing is going to just make them look terrible, and if the hall is smart, they won't say a word, they'll just let them stew in their own juices, as my mother used to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, oh, by juices. the way, one more category I just thought of, best commercial that's about to air, but no problem, you're going to hear it right now, this is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, as we mentioned in the first hour, the preliminary list of 102 candidates for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2019 was released last week. And I didn't see any surprises there, but then again, I'm not sure how many there can be with a group of 102. But there's going to be some serious cutting when the list is trimmed to 25 in November, and that won't be done until after votes from the Hall's 48 selectors, of which we are three, are tabulated. But in the meantime, yes, in the meantime, we have our longtime friend, the NFL historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal, here with us to decipher what all of this means. And, John, you've seen the preliminary list. I guess I'll ask you coming out of the gate here, uh, where are the most troubling or difficult decisions for you when you look at cutting it to 25? In my opinion, it's at safety because there's a lot of qualified guys, and plenty of them have not even been making it to the final 25 semifinal list. So we've, we've seen John Lynch get up there. We've seen Steve Atwater year after year. Uh, Leroy Butler sometimes gets up there. I don't think we've had uh, 
Darren Woodson up there, and those guys are just as qualified, if not more, in my view, than uh, Atwater and Lynch. And uh, in a couple of years, you've got Paulo Malu, who we all know is a uh, in-the-box type of safety, and he had 32 picks. But you've got Atwater and Lynch. Both of those guys played a lot in the box, and neither one of them had had that many interceptions, both in the 20s. And so when you look at a Leroy Butler, sometimes I think he gets kind of left out, and same with Darren Woodson. So they're all great guys, and there's another one out there, Carnell Lake, who is an interesting person to talk about when it comes to somebody who could cover, somebody who could uh, get in there and get some sacks, and also is good in run support. Well, since you mentioned Leroy Butler, I will say this. He became a semifinals last year for the first time. Hard to believe because he was an all-decade safety and first-team all-decade. He became a semifinalist for the first time. So I guess I would ask you um, on this list, sort of asking you to assume that you know the, the semifinalists and maybe you don't, but which players who haven't been semifinalists, haven't been among that list of 25, would you like to see make the next cut? Who is a long shot that you'd like to see make this cut to 25? Well, I would hope Bryant Young gets a shot this year, at least to get in there and kind of get in the process. I think he was the equivalent, if not a hair better, than Warren Sapp, who was a first ballot guy. He he had seven fewer sacks, but he had more run stuff, and was kind of a more sound player. He, he played both three technique and on the nose because he, he was a left tackle, so they shifted rather than flop. So he's one that I would hope that would make the final 25. John, Tony Baselli's sitting there on the, as a, in, right now a perennial finalist until he gets in. What does that do for the candidacies of, say, Mike Ken and Richmond Webb? Well, I, I, I would hope they would both get a chance at it, at being into the final 15. I know there's been a concerted, I don't know if it's an effort, but at least the results are. Some of the guys who had shorter careers have been getting a fair shot lately. I think back in the 90s and maybe early 2000s, they, there might have been a bias against guys who had shorter careers. Now the Kenny Easleys and Terrell Davises are getting in. But I hope it's not at the cost of the guys who did have the longevity. Mike Ken was not only a 17-year player, but he was a 17-year starter. And to compare that to Jackie Slater, who had the 20 years, but he was only a starter for 14 of that 20. So, And he walked in on the first ballot. So I hope there's not people just kind of dismissing the longevity as nothing, because I think it is pretty impressive to start. And Ken was an All-Pro in 1980 for the first time, and then an All-Pro in 1991. Nobody's been an All-Pro that many years apart on the offensive line or any position that I know of. There's another guy that intrigues me on this ballot, Rondé Barber. Statistically, he's got some incredible numbers, and he's got a rank. Where are you at in Rondé Barber? Well, I think in terms of the run stuff, he's got a half less than Warren Sapp in his career. So he was playing in a scheme where he would go up and make a lot of tackles in the backfield. I think that does make him unique. Interesting. Well, one of my uh, uh, pet peeves or pet guys is Sterling Sharp, who, uh, had it not been for his neck injury, I mean, he was, uh, pardon the pun, neck and neck with Jerry Rice during the, the, that time period and, and a, uh, really didn't have a decent quarterback except for one year with Don Majowski before Brett Favre showed up for a couple years at the end. Where do you stand with him, especially now that it seems the longevity thing has been shortened? Well, I think 
I have him as the number one wide receiver on my list in terms of who's on that final 102. I don't believe he's ever been a semifinalist. Uh, I'd have to check. I, I know he hasn't been since 2014. The issue is he not only has to make it to the final 25, then he has to make it to the final 15, then he has to get in all this year because this is his last year along with Mike Ken. So this late in the process, it may make it a little bit difficult. But as you know, I'll never be a voter, not qualified to be a voter, but if I were, I would certainly vote yes on Sterling Sharp. What about uh, one of my favorite old coaches, Clark Shaughnessy? You know, you hear always talk about Don Coryell and how innovative he was. And here's Shaughnessy, who invented the uh, the T formation and then invented the defense to stop the T formation. Was briefly a head coach with the Rams, uh, where he had uh, an overwhelmingly winning record and, and took him to the playoffs and got himself fired because he was a hard guy to get along with. Um, what uh, what's your take on Clark Shaughnessy as you think of coaches? Well, as a coach, I think he's one of those innovators. But my opinion, the only way I can assess it is I think the way he gets in is through the contributor category. Because the things you mentioned are absolutely true. Modern football, a lot of it does go through Clark Shaughnessy. But as a coach, is he truly a Hall of Famer as a coach or as a contributor? And I think... He would be more of one of those assistant coach types, and I don't think anybody's ever considered an assistant coach as a Hall of Famer. But I think as time moves on, I think looking at him and maybe even Don Coriel as contributors may be their way in. Hey, John, and we're speaking to John Turney of Pro Football Journal uh, on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at talkoffamenet. And, John, uh, I want to go back to the safety issue. Um, I mentioned Butler when we were talking. You mentioned Atwater. Atwater's been a finalist once. Butler's never been a finalist. He was a semifinalist once, and that was last year. Where do you put these guys? Which one do you like better than the other? Um, they were both first team all decade, 1990s, but neither one seems to get selectors hot and bothered. Um, you keen on one or the other? Well, if I were building a team, I would prefer to have um, Leroy Butler as one of my safeties, simply because he could do more things. One year, I believe he had six and a half sacks, might have led the team or was second on the team, and also had five picks. He could play uh, corner. He could play corner in the slot, I mean, and he did that early in his career. He could do more things. If you want somebody who is going to have bigger hits, you're going to have Steve Atwater. He had two what I would call signature Hall of Fame moments. Everybody knows the first one where he had the monster hit on Christian Okoye. But how many of you guys or how many fans remember, I know all three of you will remember, his point-blank interception of Jay Schrader when he was a rookie. Do you guys remember that play where Schrader just fired the ball and Atwater just reached up and stabbed it, and it was probably five yards away, if that? That was special in my view. But is that enough? I don't know. He was kind of odd as a free safety in that he played in the box more than most free safeties. Not only is that my memory of it, but the stats bear that out. He he only picked off, I believe, 24 passes in his career, but had quite a few run stuffs where he's making tackles in the backfield. He he seemed like a strong safety to me, even though he wasn't. uh, Dennis Smith was. John, let me throw another safety from the 1990s in there. Where does Darren Woodson fit? I believe he's a lot like Butler 
in that he's, he could do it all. He didn't blitz as often as, as Butler did, but I think he could have. I don't think he was asked to do it. He could cover very well. He was a good tackler and also made a lot of plays in the backfield. I think he had 44 stuffs in his career. So he and Butler are probably my two favorites ahead of Atwater and Lynch. But Atwater and Lynch are the ones that have been getting kind of the more momentum, if you will. Well, that brings up a point with Lynch that I was going to ask you about because uh, it, it, to us it seems like his, his Kansas City is losing a little steam. You know, he's, he went backward last year from, from the year before. Uh, do you think this is perhaps his last hurrah, assuming he gets there uh, this time, uh, that, that it, with Palomalo coming up and you got Ed Reed and you got uh, in there this year? Um, could you see Lynch becoming one of these guys who falls through the cracks? Well, possibly. Um I know he went to four Pro Bowls with the Broncos for those last four years as a free safety. And for the life of me, I really don't know why. I didn't think he graded. He didn't grade that high in my eyes. I know he didn't grade that high on, on Pro Scouts uh, lists. But I, I don't think he's going to fall through the cracks because as long as he's in the front office, he'll still have a shot. I just think he might have gotten a little bit more publicity in a, in a scheme that was... I guess there's some real questions in my mind. You know, he was a, a Tampa 2 type of safety, yet the statistics, when you look at them, showed that he was more of an in-the-box type of safety. And when people say he only picked off 26 passes, that's what they will say. Well, he was an in-the-box safety. But hold on. I thought he was a Tampa 2 guy where he was paying half the field. I think he will get in eventually. He may be somebody, though, that it would be appropriate to get in on the seniors committee someday if he doesn't get in on the modern era list. Hey, John, quick question. We've got about 20 seconds left. How many coaches would you include in your next cut down? I only included Don Coriel. I just can't separate the two Super Bowl win guys yet. Okay. All right. Well, John, thanks as always. We'll, we'll be talking soon. Thank you much. That was NFL historian John Turney, Pro Football Journal. Up next, what to make of Josh Gordon becoming neighbors with our Ron Borges. <laughs> You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we plugged several books on this show lately, including ones by Hall of Fame voters Gary Myers, Sal Palantonio, Dan Pompey. So I don't think it'd really be out of order to plug another, uh, even though it's from someone who's not on the Hall's Board of Selectors. But that's a book called Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times by Mark Leibovich, who's a New York Times Magazine chief national correspondent, who's also written bestsellers, including Our Town. And i got to tell you guys, someone we should get on this program, and I mean soon. Um, either of you see or read this book? Anyone? I've nope. seen it. I bought it. Uh, I haven't opened it yet, uh, but I intend to in a short order. Uh, he's Good. a very interesting thinker uh, as well as writer, and I think it's pretty uh, – I'll be surprised if it's not fascinating. What you, Goose? I have not seen it. Okay. Well, um, I, I, I hardly recommend that you, you do. I, I would also mention before I go go forward, uh, 
uh, just mentioned that the guy's a diehard Patriots and Brady fan, which makes the book a must-buy for me. But we don't have to buy it here because my wife took it out from the town library. And, and remember, she worked in the league office, as both of you know. And she told me – she was reading this last night. She goes, you must, and I mean must, read this. It has everything about people you know, talk to all the time. And she said this guy's dead, solid, perfect. He's right on top of it. Um, a lot of stuff in there about Robert Kraft and Tom Brady, Ron, and Goose. A lot in there about Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, too. Well, that's because Kraft and Brady want what Jerry Jones already has, a gold jacket. <laughs> uh, I think there's a good chance of that. Happening. Yeah, well, one of them's going to get one. Uh, one of them's going to get one. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, uh, look, uh, Leibovitz is a very interesting uh, thinker. You know, you see him uh, commenting a lot on the news. Uh, you know, he's innovative. He's, he has a, certainly will bring a different point of view to the game than you mm-hmm. normally get in these kind of books. And to me, that's always kind of welcome, uh, but too seldom seen these days. You know, I don't know how dangerous the times are when it comes to the NFL, uh, unless you're a defensive player trying to make a tackle without getting flagged, or a defensive coordinator trying to prepare to face the Amish rifle. Other than that, it's not that dangerous. <laughs> But I'm willing to bet it's going to be a great read, and I'm, it's uh, by it my is. head, and I intend to read it. Yeah, it is, because, as, as you mentioned, because he's an outsider, he's not afraid to call it as he sees it, you know, and he's got some hilarious and hysterical comments in there. Anyway, the book is called Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. It's written by Mark Leibovich, uh, soon, I hope, to be coming to a Talk of Fame Network program. Okay, now down to business, Ron. Yes, sir. Patriots and Josh Gordon. Yes, why gamble on a guy like this, and why the New England Patriots? Well, uh, first off, there are eight teams supposedly in the running uh, and interested in, in uh, uh, making a deal uh, because the guys who run these teams are all uh, whores to talent, as a uh, present coach once told me one time. We're all whores to talent. I've never forgotten that. Uh, and this guy's a good example of that. He's made 19 catches in the past four years. He scored two touchdowns since mm-hmm. 2013. He's mm-hmm. tested positive for street drugs and alcohol more times than he scored touchdowns in the last five years. Yet, the, the Patriots take a gamble because he has talent, because uh, they have a major hole of their own creation in their lineup, uh, and because there's no economic risk. If he doesn't, if yeah, he's a problem, yeah, you just let yeah. him go. Right. Well, I, I understand they put up with, with character concerns or problems. That, you know, Randy Moss comes to mind, Corey Dillon, Albert Hainsworth, Chad Johnson. Um, but, Ron, the, the thing that bothers me is that this seems to be more about accountability concerns. I mean, this guy misses meetings, practices, you name it, and, and I can't see your head coach putting up with that. Well, uh, you know, probably not, but, uh, uh, you know, he's a guy uh, who misses meetings and things because he's stoned. He falls asleep. It happens, you know. I mean, you've got to be understanding about these kinds of situations, you know. Uh, uh, look, I mean, here's a guy who doesn't show up last week because he pulls his hamstring at a photo shoot <laughs> two days before the game, supposedly. Uh, now, is Belichick going to put up with those things? No, I agree. He's not going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, it proves once again to me that in pro sports, all these teams uh, stand for as a national anthem, and not all of them are even doing that anymore. <laughs> what I can't see is Belichick putting up the, with the lack of productivity by his current set of wide receivers these last two weeks. Yeah. Philip Dorsett, yeah. Chris Hogan, and Corderella Patterson are not Randy Moss, Wes Welker, and Dante Stallworth. Like the Beatles, even Tom Brady needs a little help from his friend. <laughs> Whoa, I, I like right. the, the, I the, like music. the reference of, yeah, bringing the Beatles and Brady in the same sentence. I like that. Wow, two Hall of Famers. Hey, um, you know, Goose, since you mentioned that, um, you're right. I mean, their wide receivers haven't done anything. I mean, they're waiting on Julian Edelman. But, but Gordon's a guy who can stretch the field, at least he did years ago, as Ron pointed out a long time ago. Um, Ron, is this, is this basically an admission that they blew up by trading away Brandon Cooks? I mean, uh, or, or, 
they, they trade away their one deep threat, and, and there's nobody there. I mean, Cordero Patterson was supposed to be the guy. I don't see anything going on there. And, and or, or was this a response to what basically was a butt-kicking they got last week in Jacksonville with, with New England maybe thinking, you know what, we don't have a deep, if we don't have a deep threat, I mean, we're not going to be, beat these guys in the AFC playoffs. We've got to get something. Yeah, well, I think it was probably a little bit of both. I mean, they don't have to uh, 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 admit that the trading of Brandon Cooks was a mistake. Uh, they've made 25 moves at this position and brought in 10 different people since they traded him. As of the moment, Patriot receivers have 20 catches for 186 yards. Cooks has 12 for 246. Uh, you know, uh, was that making a move in the best interest of the team? Not if you're on this year's team. So they have to do something, and, and this is a gamble. Hey, the Patriots were lucky to beat the Jaguars at home in the AFC title game last January when they did have that deep threat in Brandon Cooks. You know, Jackson was up by 10 in the fourth quarter of that game. I think the Jaguars discovered they could play with the Patriots that day, and they showed last Sunday they could close the deal. Lucky. Lucky. Now Tom yeah. Brady beat him. Come on. Tom Brady beat him in the only game that mattered. Hey, what's your best guess, guys? Uh, Start with you, Goose. Will Josh Gordon be with this team at the end of the year? Yes, uh, this is his last strike, and he knows it. It'll also be his last chance to ever win a Super Bowl. Goose man, the correct answer is no, and it's no guess. <laughs> Unless the Patriots hire the Russian Olympic doping team doctors, he has no chance of surviving 10 random drug tests. None. Zero. Did you see those wide receivers last weekend? That doesn't matter. He's going to flug a drug test, and that's it. He's on the one and done. Belichick's going to home with him. Drive more back and forth. <laughs> yeah, sure you will. Ron, if you were Belichick, would you have taken on the scandal? Uh, if I was smoking weed, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, well, probably. So yeah. let me ask you the question. Yeah, 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 probably because it's a gamble, really, without risk. You know the way the contracts are. Uh, he costs less than eight hundred thousand. If he has a good year, he's a restricted free agent next year, even though he's played one hundred seventeen years or he's been in the league. It seems like forever. Uh, so that's less than two million dollars. And if it works out, he's cheap money. And if it doesn't work out, you cut him and he costs you no money. So why not? Ron, Ron, don't bogart that joint. Pass it to Rick. Goose <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. what do you got to say on this? Yeah. If you were Belichick, would you have taken the gamble? You know, Belichick's uh, been able to take character guys in the past, like Randy Moss and Corey Dillon, and rehabilitate them in the short term. But, you know, the window's closing on the Patriots and their 41-year-old quarterback. He's our age. And so acquiring an elite talent like Gordon, even with his baggage, was a move he felt he had to make. But I believe character wins. I never would have signed him. Yeah, okay. Well, let me ask about another wide receiver, and that's Pittsburgh's Antonio Brown. Now, he made some oblique reference to trade me in a tweet after Sunday's loss to Kansas City. Then, of course, failed to show up for work at the team's facility on Monday. Um, Okay, so this isn't Josh Gordon. Let's make that clear. But this is a star receiver who didn't show up when he should have. Goose, you're Mike Tomlin. How do you handle this? Well, if the Steelers were 2-0, I'd set him a week. But with the Steelers winless through two games, Pittsburgh needs the best wide receiver in the NFL on the field. So Tomlin will just give him a talk, and that'll be it. <laughs> you know, the same way he quote-unquote handled LeGarrette Le Blount and Le'Veon Bell in the anthem mess a year ago when he hung Alejandro Villanueva out to dry. Uh, uh, why do you think these guys keep losing the, the, the big games they're in? Uh, when push comes to shove and the pressure's on, they push each other, uh, not forward. You know, Tomlin's telling them to be quiet, if you guys remember last year, and uh, don't be talking about the Patriots next week. As a guy, one of his players is, is if I recall the game correctly, is videotaping in and sending out on his live, whatever the hell it was, Snapchat, chat feed, whatever, you know. I mean, good Lord, he has zero control of those guys, zero. And you can see that on the bench. Antonio Brown lost his mind. Uh, and yeah, he did. and I didn't see Mike Tomlin intervening to defend his coach. 
Hey, hey, Goose, you know, since Ron mentioned that, maybe it's my imagination, but it sure seems like the overwhelming percentage of divas here are wide receivers. Yeah. Why? Start with Terrell Owens and move quickly to Odell Beckham, Des Bryant, yeah. Antonio Brown. You know, for guys who touch the ball only eight or ten times a game, they certainly forge high profiles off the field. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, um, one other question, and not about a wide receiver, but coming from a wide receiver, and that's Deshaun Jackson of Tampa Bay, who says, The Amish Rifle! The Amish rifle so hot, you cannot repeat, cannot sit him when Jameis Winston returns next week from a three-game suspension. I agree. How about you, Goose? I agree. You can't sit the hot hand, but he'll cool down, then make your move. There's a reason that the rifle is with his seventh NFL team. The good times never last. Ah, it's because people can't recognize great talent when they see Deshaun Jackson. I've always thought of as personnel genius, as he just proved. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, I mean, the way the guy's playing, did Shula sit down Earl Morrill to put Unitas back in? Not, not in MVP season, he didn't. I mean, the guy's passing for 400 yards every week. You know, he, he looks like Conor McGregor with the beard and the whole thing going on. I mean, you know, come on, keep him in there. Plus, you know what? This might che- teach young Jameis Winston a lesson he needs to learn. Yeah, this thing can it. end. I don't think that's possible. Well, you know, you gonna... come back and tell you're not the man. You're gonna, you know, this thing can uh, okay. uh, end in a hurry. All right. All right. On to something we've tried in the past, guys, What's and that? we'll try again. And that's the best and worst of the past week. And it's our Hall of Fame and Hall of Shame winners. With a couple of these words already earmarked for Patrick Mahomes and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, guys, you know the drill. I'll ask you, Goose, to begin by taking your pick. Hall of Fame, Hall of Shame, I don't care. It's your choice. Where are you going? Referee Tony Corrente, Hall of Shame. The referee is the guardian angel of quarterbacks throwing the flags and what they determine to be roughing the passer. The roughing the passer penalty against Clay Matthews last week was, well, shameful. It cost the Packers a victory over their arch rivals, the Vikings. Okay, Ronnie, you're next. Fame of, or shame? Hall of shame for Eric Dickerson. Uh, who's wow, out here. shocking. Stunning. <laughs> I never expected that from He's out here talking like he's got a case of hoof and mouth disease. <laughs> asking for a $250,000 salary to show up once a year in Canton, Ohio. It's like, what are you talking about, you lunatic? Uh, Shame, shame, shame. When they do those commercials, you know, about ED, is that what they're talking about, Eric Dickerson? Is that what they're talking about? No? Yeah, ED. Anyway. All right. Um, Well, okay. Um, I'm going to nominate, as Goose did, uh, I'm going a little bit farther than Tony Corrente, just going to nominate the league office for the Hall of Shame. Sounds like we've got a clean sweep here. And for good reason. I mean, it stood behind that, as Goose mentioned, ridiculous roughing the passer penalty against Green Bay's Clay Matthews. A call, by the way, that um, allowed Minnesota's Goose mentioned to turn a loss into a tie. Uh, Clay Matthews said he didn't get it. I don't either. But former NFL fishing bosses Mike Pereira, friend of the show, and Dean Blandino criticized it too. So once again, we have a case where the league has introduced Goose more officiating into the game when it should be trying to get more out of it. Shame on 345 Park Avenue. My next candidate, another Hall of Shamer, is, because I never get tired of saying it, John Gruden. The NFL today is all about the quarterback and the pass rush. How do you trade away one of the best pass rushes in the game? And more importantly, how do you justify that move to your fans in both Oakland and Las Vegas? (laughs) 
Well, how do you justify you, it, Ron? Well, I'm you're, show you're you guys the kind silver of guy and black I, guy. Well, well, I'm going to show you the kind of guy I am. Even uh, when you, even if I love you, when you do something wrong, you got to pay for it. So my hall of shame is my Harvard pal Ryan Fitzpatrick with that what? disco outfit he wore after in his post game <laughs> press conference. He had sunglasses. He had Deshaun Jackson's car bumper on around his neck on a chain. And he looked like Conor McGregor uh, separated at birth. Flag him for that. Yeah, but the chest hair was real, Ron. It the was chest real. hair was real. And voluminous. <laughs> and voluminous. Hey, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate the help with this week's awards. Now get ready for the heavy lifting. The two-minute drill is next, right after this. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. A look at the clock, look at our producer, I can... Include only one thing. That's the two-minute warning. I guess right. It's a two-minute drill. So, Ronnie, let's get started. Two ties in two weeks. Are we seeing a trend? No, we're seeing a problem. I wear a tie every week to games. <laughs> Have either of you ever quit it halfway through your shift in any job? Yes, sir. I quit on the dishes last night. My wife gave me a timeout. <laughs> Pride of workmanship. Never. <laughs> Since 2002, only 11% of teams that started 0-2 made the playoffs. Eight are 0-2 this season. Who has the best chance of beating the odds? Texans, second best team in their division. None. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Since 1980, only five of 173 teams that started 0-3 made the playoffs. That's 2.9% just to do the math. Any of those eight likely to survive an 0-3 start? Not unless they trade for Tom Brady. Less than none. <laughs> Bill Belichick's former coaches are 100 and 156 in the NFL, a winning percentage Ouch. of .390. Is this coaching tree an oak, an elm, or a weeping willow? Weeping willow. Weeping because it knows it can't survive without Tom Brady. They're weeping in Detroit. <laughs> I see a trend there. Josh Gordon, Flash Gordon, or Gordon Lightfoot? Gordon Howe. The wreck. Of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah. good call. Are the Steelers missing Le'Veon Bell yet? Nope, but they are missing Joe Green and Mel Blunt. How can you not miss a Spartan, especially when you haven't won a game yet? <laughs> oh, please. The Redskins were 25,000 fans short of a sellout last Sunday for the first time in a half century. Has the worm turned in the NFL? No. DC fans just got smart, Ron. Figured out it's cheaper to watch these games on TV than it is in person. Where's George Allen when you really need him? Steeler wide receiver Antonio Brown became the fastest one to 750 career catches, doing it in 117 games. Will he catch Jerry Rice? Not if he keeps skipping Monday sessions, he won't. Not if he keeps talking about getting traded, he won't. <laughs> Only six NFL players made public anthem protests last weekend. Is the anthem issue over? It is until the White House intervenes. Yeah, not until Donald Trump is done with it. That's the end of the game. We'd like to thank Lennon Fletcher, John Turney, Vic Carucci for joining us, Shay Raftis for producing us, you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, thebetalkoffamenetwork.com, or catch us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. We'll be here. We hope you will be, too.